Good morning to you and yours. It's Friday, September 2nd, uh, 924 a.m. Uh, we're in the wake of Purdue losing to Penn State 35-31 to in very disappointing fashion. Um, before I dig in too deep into my thoughts and analysis of the game, um, I want to uh, remind everybody that the season ended over with one loss. Uh, there's no reason to have despair over the season, even if you were a person who picked a high number of losses. Um, but at the same time, this was disappointing because they really had their opportunities. Um, so I'll dig into it in just a second, but first let me thank our friends at Martin Vintage, martinvintage.com. Uh, Inner Boiled at checkout for 15% off. Uh, there's a link below. And uh, AJ's, eatajs.com, where Anish and Justin actually enjoyed a meal yesterday before the game. And uh, if you got to see those guys or see me, uh, our pal Nathan actually sits right behind us. His season tickets there uh, are there. And uh, nice, to, nice to see people again. Nice to get back among uh, the, the passionate fellow, fellow Boilermakers. It was a pretty good uh, atmosphere. Um, it wasn't as electric as the Michigan State game or the Ohio State game from a couple of years ago, the last two um, nighttime blackout games, if you will. I think that goes for multiple reasons. Number one, it wasn't a full sellout. I think there were still a couple thousand short of the sellout. Um, and I think I always, I, I, I think Purdue, the Purdue fan base is um, uh, logical to a fault. And to, to, to say, hey man, we're going to get home really late. It's, gonna, it's a weeknight. A lot of people have to work. I would say, Man, how many opportunities do you get to see uh, a primetime national TV game in person um, where, where your university, your alma mater is the focus? That's awfully fun. And, um, and I think uh, I wish it would have been just a, a little bit more crowded. I wish it would have been a little more Purdue fans. Penn State fans gobbled up some of those 5,000 uh, remaining tickets that were, that were uh, sh showing up according to the Purdue ticket office there at the end. And a lot, I heard some stories, a lot of people just saying, yeah, I'll go, I'll just go. And a lot of alums from like Chicago that are Penn State alums, they also have a big alumni base just like Purdue does. They're a weird uh, semi-public, semi-private school as far as I understand, one of the weirdest uh, models in America. Um, but um, a lot of Penn State fans were there, especially down low behind the Penn State bench, which was in front of me. Jay is actually, his season ticket was in the throngs of Penn State fans, so he had to deal a little bit with that. But let's talk about some of the key plays or the, a few of the key plays um, that were really, really uh, kind of pivotal. Uh, first one is uh, a kickoff out of bounds, I think, kind of set, set Purdue up for a field position battle that um, uh, Purdue ended up losing. That was a, that was a big deal, um, giving, giving Penn State... The ball at the 35 was huge because Penn State wasn't moving the ball really effectively at that point. Um, let's be real honest, Purdue and Penn State played kind of similar types of games uh, with a couple exceptions. Um, neither quarterback was uh, exemplary in play. Uh, both of them completed a, a similar percentage of passes, I think right around 50%. Um, for two sixth-year guys, I think the defense kind of put them in positions where they weren't very comfortable uh, both of them were f trying to force throws in places they shouldn't have tried to force them. I think the play calling on both sides put them in that position as well. Um, the one big difference is Aiden O'Connell didn't make the big mistake that Sean Clifford did. Uh, that pick six is probably the biggest play of the game. It should have been the play that helped Purdue clinch the victory, but it didn't. Um, 
So AOC didn't make the big mistake that Clifford did. And then the other thing, Penn State was just a, they ran the ball just a bit more. Um, the time of possession was very similar, but the um, uh, the times that AOC threw the ball, he threw it nearly 60 times, 58 times, completed 29 of his 58 passes. I think all of us, when we come into the game, we think, okay, AOC completed 72% of his passes, or just under 72% of his passes last season. Um, and he did. But versus teams with really, really good passing defense, he struggled a bit in times. And last year, uh, my son noted to me before the Michigan State game, um, when AOC plays a defensive uh, backfield that's good, he struggles a bit. And he did that again here. Penn State's cornerbacks and defensive backs are really, really good. And if you couldn't get that on TV, and if you're there, you could see they were in Purdue's wide receivers' pockets all day long. Um, their linebackers did a brilliant job at keeping Payne Durham as out of the game as, as he could be. I know Purdue tried to stress it. Uh, AOC missed a couple passes to Durham specifically. One was underthrown uh, on a seam route. Uh, pro- no, probably as a post route. But he underthrew it, and he, he put it in a position where the defensive back, I think it was the strong safety was guarding him, was just stride for stride with him and wouldn't let Durham adjust the ball. Another one, a seam route, um, uh, AOC just overthrew him, uh, plain and simple. And he did that a couple times early in the game. He's done that at times, right? He's trying to make the plays, which you got to appreciate. He's got the right mentality as a quarterback. Um, love, to, love to see a guy trying to say, I can throw it through a tight window, and he threw it through some. In fact, he threw it through one where the window wasn't even opened. It went through the Penn State went through the Penn State players' hands and Sheffield came down with the ball early in the, I think it was either first or second quarter. Um, So the window wasn't even open there, but he still tried to make the pass. And that was kind of what he did all day. Um, He had two or three balls go through Penn State defenders' hands that could have been interceptions very easily that weren't. On the other side, um, there was at least one interception that was a Purdue player taking it from another Purdue player where I think the cornerback stepped in front of Cam Allen and Cam Allen was just sitting waiting for the ball. And the corner, I think it was Jefferson at that point, hit the ball, and then uh, Cam Allen couldn't get to it. So it happened on both sides of the ball. The game was relatively even. So let's look at the, let's dig in deeper these pivotal plays, these pivotal stats. I think you're going to see something here that, if you didn't think of it, um, uh, might bother you. Let's also talk real quick. But let me say that the negatives. I, I, I talked about this on Twitter, and I tried to keep it like a pastor or a preacher with three points and three points, not negative and positives. You can check that out. Real simple. Um, but the clock management and play calling by Jeff Brom down the stretch was was pretty bad, and it was it showed a lot of the, his mentality as a coach. I think he said, "I'm going to be me here." Right. Let's compare and contrast the. Um, Brian Brom coach game versus Iowa because I think it's an easy one to look at where Purdue kind of salted the game away with running the ball and Brom, Brian Brom just calls a different type of game. Jeff Brom doesn't do that. So Jeff Brom in post-game comments said, um, I'd come out, we came out of timeouts or, or dead, uh, you know, TV timeouts, whatever. We look at the, the Penn State defense. He said there are a lot of big bodies up the middle. So I didn't want to go into that. So instead he decided to go right into the teeth of Penn State's very, very strong defensive backfield, right into it. And the routes were not the type that really went away from the, the Penn State defensive backs. Uh, there were out routes. They, uh, there, were, there were no routes where they were trying to sit down. They, they looked pretty vertical. That's trouble. That's trouble versus a defense like Penn State. And it, and it proved to be trouble because 
um, in those final uh, drives, I'm kind of jumping around my notes, but in the final drives, there were 12 official plays because there was one that was taken away because of a, um, uh, a play that was taken away because of an illegal block. But in those final drives, you had AOC was a total of four for 13. So he was below his average in completions because of the type of passes he was flo- uh, throwing. Um, and he, let's see, I think the biggest play was a, was a 15-yard pass completion. I don't have the notes here. But 15-yard pass completion to, I want to say Sheffield. Um, but they also had a very big penalty in there, an uh, um, illegal block, which um, three refs threw the flag at the block. I didn't see it. All I could see was the flag. Maybe if you guys were watching on TV, you saw it a lot more blatant than I did. But I assume that was a chop block um, They uh, where the – one lineman's engaged up, and the other one comes in and cuts his legs. Um, that's what I assume it was, just because it must have been blatant if you have three flags thrown there. And speaking of flags, um, Penn State had five penalties for 56 yards. Purdue had nine penalties for 92 yards. Those penalties were absolutely huge. Another thing Purdue did very, very poorly was um, just the amount of penalties for yardage and what, the, what those led to almost directly. Um, in the first half, you had a piv- pivotal um, Pivotal period where, I'm jumping around, I apologize, but in the first half you had a pivotal period where um, Sheffield has the ball, I think it was a pass out to the flat on the left side, Um, he's not protecting the ball as he rounds the corner at all, the ball gets poked out, it's not on his outside arm, really basic football in that place, get the ball to your outside arm, but he has it on the inside, it gets popped out, Penn State jumps on the ball um, near the out-of-bounds, not on the out-of-bounds. They get the ball, they, and uh, they go down the field, and they score. So it went from being a position where Purdue probably was going to get a field goal. They were in a position to get a field goal right then with Sheffield's catch. Um, I think they were down to the 20 or 25. They would have been if, if Sheffield would have held on to it. Um, it would have been 14 to 13. Instead, Penn State drives right down the field um, and scores, and the halftime score was 21 to 10. So a 7 to 10 point swing, depending on how you're looking at it. And during that Penn State drive, I think Purdue had a really bad missed tackle. Another problem that happened over and over. I think I counted four really, really costly missed tackles. Um, tackles where Purdue's defenders were in the right place to make a, a, a form tackle and drive through a guy. Instead, they decided to blow him up and look like uh, the old Jim Coletto teams or the uh, even the Danny Hope or Daryl Hazel teams, and they would hit them hard right in the middle, not wrap them up, not drive through them. Um, that, that's something that can be cleaned up. Grant, uh, who may be over here, I haven't checked yet, but he talked about on Twitter that you can clean up some of those tackling problems between the first and second game. This is a bit of a product of maybe the way Purdue practices in the preseason. I think Brom made a very conscious effort to try to keep guys healthy, and in that way he's not going, they weren't going 100% all the time in camp, and it really showed up. Penn State looked disciplined. Penn State tackles very well. Penn State is very talented. But you had the, cha- the, the, the case of two teams, two programs that are very different, built very different. Purdue has a developmental program where you have guys that kind of have to grow up into their role, but they were grown up. They did have experience. They should have been in the position where they could match up toe-to-toe with Penn State, which if you look at that lineup, there's a guy who does tail of the tape. He's awesome on uh, Golden Black. And he said he just showed the four-star versus the three-star matchups. Penn State was four-star straight through, but they're not all as experienced as Purdue. Purdue has more experience and had more experience. In spite of that experience, which is one thing that I thought would be a key to the game, in spite of that experience, 
Purdue made dumb, boneheaded plays, boneheaded penalties over and over. Uh, that really spelled their doom. But let's get back to the end of the game there. So um, AOC goes, uh, what I say, four for 13 to end the game. Um, one big pass, another one that was a really a horrible pass that almost got saved by Payne Durham just getting his hand under it. Um, at, on, the, on the Purdue Jumbotron, I couldn't really tell if it really hit the ground. It must have been very easy to spot. My son texted me, said, yeah, that's incomplete. Uh, maybe you guys saw that too on TV. But the And I haven't rewatched the game yet. It's only 9.30 in the morning. I went to bed at 3.15. Um, but, the, um, but the other key of those two drives, and the biggest key of those two drives, is that he had one, one running play to King DeRue for four yards. So King DeRue averaged 3.8 yards a carry. I think he finished with like 50-something yards. I can look at those stats here in a second. But he averaged 3.8 yards a carry. Pretty solid game. And he averaged exactly what he did during the game or just a little bit better in that final drive. So he averaged four yards a carry, but it wasn't good enough. The scenario wasn't good enough for Jeff Brom to say, I think I can get these guys to run the ball a couple times. Purdue was not playing Penn State that time. Purdue was playing the clock. Purdue was playing that Penn State had three timeouts and he really needed them to burn them up so they would be in trouble whenever they got the ball back. So you either needed seven or you needed to burn up the clock. They couldn't get seven on that first drive and they weren't burning the clock up at all. They didn't try to run it on first down on, what, four opportunities? So that's, that's a big deal. Um, and then they also had some confusion. This happened all day. Getting the play in quickly was a, was a problem for the Brom brothers to AOC. So they'd come in, and Purdue had, uh, Purdue had a delay of game that made the field shorter, again, for Penn State. All these mistakes, all these penalties match up. Or, or pardon me, um, uh, they, they build. All these, all these things build up against, build the case against Purdue of why you should win the game. Purdue was in the position to win the game because of Jefferson's pick six, which is a thing of beauty. Um, that was awesome. I don't know who Sean Clifford was throwing to. If you look at that, um, it reminded me a bit of um, the way Curtis Painter used to throw picks like that, where he either didn't see someone or thought somebody was going to do something, and he would throw it hard over the middle, and there would be no one there but a defensive back. And Jefferson caught it and was on his horse. And that was a really fun play to develop because from where we were seeing it, you could see that there was a path. You could see it. And the Penn State wide receivers, not defensive backs, trying to tackle a guy, they're not taking the right angle. And Purdue's, uh, Purdue's cavalry of uh, blockers, which are defenders, did such a brilliant job just running interference. That, that overhead cam, if you haven't seen that replay, just looked amazing. It looked almost like a video game. That was a really cool play. And it looked like that should have been the play that did it. It turns out it didn't. Purdue falls. Let's look at a couple more, um, couple more stats just real quickly. Um, like I said, AO, uh, AOC was 29 of 58, 356 yards, uh, 69.4 QBR. Um, a similar game to Tennessee in a lot of ways in that he wasn't super sharp. But in that game, he started really bad, and he had three interceptions. This one, he didn't make any of those, those big mistakes. But Penn State really took Purdue out of their game because those defensive backs are just so darn good. Sean Clifford was 20 of 37, 282 yards, a slightly better QBR, but made the massive mistake of the big interception. Um, and then if you look at the running backs, neither running back, uh, neither team had a running back that just jumps off the page other than um, uh, Doru had 15 carries for, for 57 yards, 3.8 yards carry. 
Penn State, Katron Allen had eight carries for 31 yards, 3.9 yards. Pretty even. You can see this over and over. This theme comes up even over and over. Uh, Purdue also, Sheffield had one carry for seven yards. Tyrone Tracy, who I wanted to see being used in creative ways, was not used in the way that a lot of people thought we'd see him being the Jackson Anthrop type player. And that may come from just not having the ability to get in sync. The thing that I talked about, my concern coming into the game, was just the offense not quite quite gelling yet this early in the season. I would have loved to tune up the Indiana State game before Penn State game. Would have been really, really good. But the schedule is what it is, and this is the way Big Ten does it now, and almost every team starts with a Big Ten opponent. My gut tells me that Penn State is a similar team to Oregon State last year and that they're a solid bowl team, okay? Very similar to last year. But here's what we got to look at. If, you, if you're a Purdue fan, you're going to be real honest with yourself. And I'm a guy who loves Jeff Braun. Brom, I'll say it over and over and over. You've heard me say it, say it over and over. And on Twitter, I said, this one's on Jeff. This game's on Jeff. The play calling and the clock management at the end of the game, that's Jeff's fault. If you want to say a bigger theme, that's Jeff's fault. A team being that undisciplined in the tackling and the penalty flags, you can say, oh, that's just players. No, because it kept happening over and over and over, which says there was a systematic problem. These things can be cleaned up. That's the good news. I think they will be cleaned up. I have a lot of faith in this coaching staff at getting much better as the season rolls along. I don't have much faith in this coaching staff in the openers in the the first game of the year. And my uh, data sample is now big enough that you could say, okay, the Oregon State game is a bit of an aberration, right? There are so many other examples where Purdue doesn't look like the same team in the first game as they do later in the season, or even three games later in the season, Purdue is a better team than they are in the opener almost every year. Almost every year. Jeff Brom um, didn't coach versus Iowa when he had COVID during the COVID, the weird um, uh, shortened COVID year. His brother coached. They got the win there. The next year, they get Oregon State in the home opener, and uh, they win. And they won that game. A bit like this one, except Oregon State just wasn't as good of a team in the defensive backfield. That's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. But Oregon State was a bull team last year. They looked pretty solid because they were. And um, uh, I don't think, I hope you as a Purdue fan aren't just like down in the crapper this morning because I just don't think it's worth that. But at the same time, it feels pretty bad um, to lose a game that you're absolutely in the position to win and Purdue was. So I'm going to read a couple comments here and then I'll call it a day. It's been nearly 20 minutes, 18 minutes and 22 seconds. Got to see a bunch of you guys in the stadium and before. Love doing that. I'll reiterate that. Um, specifically, my, my pal Mike um, from PU Falls Cities, uh, the alumni club down there. Um, he told me that whenever I say, oh, I'm already up against this much time, he knows I'm going to start trying to wrap it up. Good news for you, Mike. If you're listening to this during your, your uh, commute, your long commute, um, there's a couple more minutes left if there are questions, comments that interest me here. Um, Ancient Astronaut says, why so many uh, pass interference and holding calls on Purdue but not Penn State? Well, I would say with the biggest reason, watching the game in person, it just looked like Penn State was better um, all the way around the field. Very disciplined. This is kind of a hallmark of James Franklin teams. They are, they are pretty good when it comes to fundamentals, doing things the right way. They just do. I think part of the reason... Um, you're able to do that is personnel. Generally, you have bigger, stronger, faster guys. Um, so you don't have to be outside of yourself, literally and figuratively. But I will say there is another thing. The refs missed, they didn't miss a lot of uh, penalties on Penn State, but they missed quite a few holding penalties on Penn State. There were a couple specifically 
um, uh, there was a pass interference that I thought was egregious that the refs missed where um, Rice was on the outside. He went up for a ball, and the defensive back grabbed the number on his back and pulled his jersey, and it pulled it off of his shoulder pads, and the ref did nothing. Um, and there were a couple holding uh, penalties where Purdue was doing a decent job. Here's another thing that I think was a theme, and we're going to see um, Purdue did a decent job uh, with a four-man four man front. So situationally, they were okay, okay? But Penn State was so good and so strong keeping those guys away. Purdue needed that delay blitz, and that's when Purdue's defense was in a better position to succeed. And we didn't see enough of that. We didn't see enough of Graham coming in as a, as a delay blitz. We didn't see enough of uh, cornerback blitzes were a big deal towards the end of the season last year, and Purdue did a really good job dialing those up and implementing them. They really didn't do that at all. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong if you saw a lot of corner blitzes and they were just picked up. But Penn State's line looked really, really salty. They, they were good. And this is one of the things. They had guys playing in their position. A lot of people in the Penn State side of things said, okay, these guys are going to be playing well. A lot of people in the media said, well, they just weren't a very good offensive line last year, so uh, they just need a massive amount of improvement. Um, really, getting guys in the position to play that they're made to play is a big deal. So um, that's just my thought on that. There was, I just think Penn State's a really disciplined team on the field. Um, Todd Singer says, I think the game plan was to put Porter on an island and roll the safeties the other side so the right uh, read consistently would go to the one-on-one coverage. And I agree. They didn't want to play into the hands of Penn State's free safety. Like I told you guys coming in, he's really, really good. Um, but one-on-one coverage versus Penn State, those guys are really good corner cover um, uh, cover corners. Really good. And you saw how many plays where they were just stride for stride with the pre receiver. O'Connell was uh, okay on accuracy. Like he really wasn't that far off, but he threw a couple passes behind, which I think that will, he'll be better. He'll be sharper in coming games. I think there's some, a lot to be said about just a quarterback getting into rhythm as he goes along. I could see him just absolutely lighting the world on fire in the next two, uh, the next two games. Of course, they're not playing the, the type of opponent that Penn State is. The real bad thing about this loss, if you want to look, if you're a person that really is big about the respect portion of it uh, in the media, and I am because I think Purdue deserved respect coming out of uh, the last season, winning nine games, beating an SEC team. But Purdue's not going to play a team that really is going to garner the the media's attention until Minnesota. So you've got uh, three games now, right? You've got Indiana State, Florida Atlantic, and Syracuse that everybody's going to say, yeah, Purdue should win. And even a Syracuse game on the road, uh, my guess is Syracuse is probably not going to be a 500 team. Um, it's tough to go on the road and win, but these are games that Purdue should win. I think the media is going to treat it that way. So getting votes for, for being ranked. Um, Purdue was ranked for one week last year, if you remember, um, and, uh, and they lost right away. So let's keep going. Um, uh, Brian Hannon says, I don't think we'll face a better secondary this year, uh, and that's a plus. And I agree, Brian. I think that's completely accurate. I think that... I think that's a really positive for Purdue. But I think Minnesota will have a good secondary. Um, Iowa always struggles versus Penn State, or versus Purdue, pardon me. Um, but uh, Wisconsin will have a very good defensive backfield. Um, but I think nobody's will be as good as Penn State's. I think Wisconsin, if you're going to say what's the next really, really good defensive backfield, it's probably Wisconsin. Minnesota will be, be solid um, just because these are defensive-minded programs. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, was Purdue really strong going? 
going to be able to, uh, against the run with Penn State there, I thought Brom uh, put the players in a position where the plays were there to be made. So, Todd, this is the thing I keep hearing from people that, and I, I really butchered reading that, or you butchered writing it one, not sure. Um, but, uh, so you're saying that you think the, it was just the players should have been making plays at the end. Uh, you can say that, but look at the look at the look at the situations and the statistics. They they back up my point of the poor management at the end of the game, uh, poor play calling and clock management. O'Connell goes well below his his even completion percentage for the game because of the play calling, and O'Connell goes below his career completion percentage by a ton. Um, I don't think there were any plays, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that there were just drops in that final two two drives because they weren't in the position to make easy catches. Brom wasn't using the flat as kind of a, 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 a run by or a pass becoming a run by proxy, which I think would have been a good thing. Penn State was waiting for Purdue to run the ball to use their timeouts. And right when Purdue ran, timeout, right? So if Purdue could have just kept the clock running. They could have just kept the clock running. It would have forced the hand of Franklin and would have forced Penn State in a really difficult situation where they couldn't do what they did in that final drive and just march right down with, without a care in the world, if you will. So uh, I, I, that's, that's, that's poor coaching. That's uh, poor situational awareness. I, I think Purdue can be better, and I think they, they will be better. But Penn State also, it was, it was kind of a, a – it's the worst-case scenario like what you guys are saying with the defensive backs on Penn State's side. Um, Brian T says, I was generally pleased with the running game. Uh, it was enough to keep us from being one dimensional. Exactly. Exactly. That's Purdue doesn't need to be a team that's going to, uh, ram their, the ball down the opponent's throat, but they need to be good enough just to keep them off balance. And when they gave the ball to Doru, he just was, he was really good at finding the hole and the offensive line is drastically improved over last year in creating lanes and holes. So that was really, really good. I agree. Um, let's see. Uh, Really cool to see Breeze on the sideline, says Brian T. Yep, uh, always good to see Breeze there. There were some funny moments if you've gone back and run some, watched some of the snippets because I haven't watched the whole entire thing. But some pretty funny um, back and forth with he and uh, Bush, Reggie Bush, if you haven't seen him. Worth worth tuning in for. Uh, let's see. Purdue, Mark Gary says, Purdue can't run every down. Never shown that uh, we could do that. But abandoning a functional run game on those last two drives costs us. Even if we run 50% of those plays, we probably get the win. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's pretty simple. Old people like me would say, um, yeah, that's basic football. You run the ball when you have, when you have the lead and uh, you just take away clock, put them in a position where things are more difficult and they're having to battle and having to fight the clock. But that's not what Purdue does under Jeff Brom because he just doesn't have a lot of faith in the running game. Um, Purdue, he needs that faith in this offensive line just a little bit more in my opinion. Uh, John Younger says the loss isn't what hurts. It's the way we lost. The end of the first half was brutal. It was horrible, John. I completely agree. It was, um, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bad taste in my mouth. I must be growing, uh, growing up, growing old, growing boring because I, um, I wasn't super angry, uh, at the end of the game. I just was kind of like, damn it. You know, that was, that was a missed opportunity. So maybe you guys feel this way where you came into the game, you thought, okay, this is probably a tough game for Purdue to win. First game of the year always are. Maybe you're like me. I don't know. But it, it still sucks. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't super angry. I'm still not super angry. I just was kind of wound up at the end of the game and stayed up too late. Uh, got home at 2.10. If you're from central Indiana, you're probably in the same thing as me. Uh, 2.10 a.m. And then didn't get to sleep till about 3.30. So, um, let's see. 
Yeah, Joseph Sasser. Good point. Hell no. I'm pretty optimistic. One, uh, pretty optimistic. One bad throw was the difference. Okay, so um, I okay. So let's let's. Should you say one bad throw is the difference? I don't think so. I don't think it comes down to one bad throw, and I don't think it should come down to one bad throw. I think you're referencing the um, the pain Durham, the throw to pain Durham. If you were in the stadium and you watched that ball come out of O'Connell's hand, it was like. Oh my gosh, we're dead, right? Because it was such a, such a, I don't know if it was hit, nobody hit his arm, I don't think. It just was a really poorly thrown ball because I think he had to move outside of the pocket. Um, I don't think the ball, the, the game comes down to that one throw. I don't. I, I think the game comes down to clock management, time management, and making more mistakes than they did. When you make those big mistakes, like the, 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 the thing that evens that out, though, Purdue's big mistakes in tackling and penalties are even by the Jefferson pick six, right? I, to me, that, that, that neutralizes those. So then the next part is, now you just got to finish the game. And Purdue didn't finish the game. Play calling there was a problem. Um, let, me, let, me, let me reiterate something. You guys have heard this 100 times. You're with me now. We're 28 minutes into this show. Um, people on Twitter are very funny. There's, there's a mixed bag. There are people who are like, okay, burn it down. It's awful. Very mad at Jeff Brom. He's the worst. I want him fired. Let's, you know. I don't get that mentality. Never have gotten that mentality. Jeff Brom's a great coach. He's been very good for Purdue. Perfect fit. Hope he's there for a long time. I want him to be um, Purdue's version of uh, Kirk Ferentz or um, uh, D'Antonio, even at Michigan State, or Alvarez at Wisconsin, a guy that that becomes this stalwart that just like, okay, you know what you're going to get out of Purdue year in, year out. They're going to be really solid, really good, all awesome passing game, whatever, and he's just there year after year after year. That's what I want, okay? But this game is more of a prototypical Jeff Brown first game, and that's painful that, like I said years ago, give, give Brian the controls on the first game. I don't know, man. Um, but there's something to be said about the way Purdue prepares in camp and the way he calls the game in the first game. There's got to be something there, guys. I mean, there just has to be. Um, I think players get better during the season. I think Brom gets better during the season, understanding his personnel and sort of his coaches. Ron English and Mark Hagan did not coach the game. I thought they would have. They were just, gosh darn it. I think they're better than that. Um, so I think they will get better as well. But yeah, the coaching, uh, if you look at it as a team effort, everybody made mistakes. There's lots to work on. That's a really good thing. They can go and review tape and they can get better and they will. Um, but starting to one stinks. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> Brian T says into the game, not upset into the first half livid. Yeah. That swing was a big deal. Um, let's see. I'll get one more here. Uh, Brock Stepler says it can still be a hell of a special season, fellas. Uh, uh, let's learn and move on. There you go. That's it. There we go. So that, and I'll end on that. That was a, it's a very good thought. And I think there's no reason to believe this team can't do big things this season. Um, but congratulations to Penn State. A lot of they traveled pretty well. A lot of a lot of Penn State fans there, and my section they were pretty great to be around. I'll be real honest. I didn't. I had more problem with Oregon State fans in my section last year than I did Penn State this year. And Oregon State fans there weren't as many, um, but they were. There was a guy right. It's always that one guy. He was right on my shoulder talking shh the whole time, and um, and so I bark back a little bit when you, when you poke and poke and poke. And then eventually he just disappeared when it looked like Purdue had had the game in hand. So Penn State fans were, let's say, delightful. They were fine. There was no issue at all. Uh, we, I entered an interaction with a guy on Twitter who said, yeah, they were really lousy around him. They weren't bad around, they weren't bad around me, honestly. So um, good on Penn State. Congratulations on the win. 
Uh, James Franklin's still a jackass. Um, that's about it. I want to tell you guys thanks again for tuning in. People that are live, a lot of you guys came on. Thanks for, for giving some, up some time in the morning. Uh, to my friend Mike and my friend Nathan, uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, uh, thanks to everybody who uh, uh, said hey to me. We always appreciate that. It's fun. So uh, have a great day, though. It's 10 a.m. God bless you. Hammer down. You've got a weekend of college football ahead of you. You can watch without the, worrying about your boilers winning or losing. So enjoy that. We'll see you later. Have a, uh, a happy holiday weekend. We'll see you.